TVP's announcements. This is a series that we have on our network where we give you announcements about upcoming projects and platforms that are entering the crypto ecosystem. Now, this is a disclaimer because we do that now. So, here's the thing this is the presentation of a platform, and that's it. This is an investment advice. Don't take it as investment advice. If you like the platform, seek it out in the show notes. Go there, buy the things, invest in the platform. Help them out with your skill sets. But we're not giving you any recommendations or advice. This is just for you to listen to and soak up some new information about a new platform in this ecosystem. So, please enjoy. Hey guys, today I'm here with Pavel Baines from Bluezell a new company dealing with distributed databases I'm using blockchain. So um, why don't we start off by you giving us a quick little introduction on um, how you got into this space in general and um, how you find yourself where you are now. Hey, yeah, thanks for inviting me out, Corey. Um, so yeah, how I got into space was, I was always in digital media, running video game companies. Um, you know, we did a uh, kids book publishing platform on the iPad called uh, Story Panda. And then, uh, you know, eventually around 2014, uh, you know, just kind of started reading about Bitcoin. What's this thing all about? And that was around springtime. And then you start, you know, it's the black hole. You read the Bitcoin. And I was more enamored. So I read the white paper. Oh, this is amazing. It's got like economics, game theory, everything that you kind of study in school or are intellectually stimulated by. It's all in this one thing. Then it was like more about what's this thing behind it, the blockchain and just, you know, the rabbit hole. <laughs> it's, you know, you spend like six weeks just reading, devouring everything on the web, telling your wife and friends and no one actually can understand any of this stuff. Um, so that's really how it happened. And then um, in this round mid 2014, a mutual friend introduced me to my now current co-founder and CTO who had just exited. Uh, he was part of um, Zero Block, which was an early Bitcoin related startup mm -hmm. that got by, bought in the, in the Valley. He came back to Vancouver, we connected. And so we were both kind of saying, hey, we want to do something on the blockchain. And we just started saying, all right, let's start building stuff and just cutting our teeth. And we initially did it with Ripple projects and connecting banking there and that. And then that basically led us to, hey, let's go to the enterprise world. Um, that's where it's probably going, FinTech. And then so early 2016, uh, we moved to Singapore saying, hey, that's where all the banks and insurers are. Mm -hmm. And then that, uh, then about a year of doing those projects uh, brought us kind of around that we realized certain of the problem areas as we we're doing these enterprise projects that, hey, there's a core missing piece on the blockchain. And uh, that's when we got said, hey, let's start building a distributed database. It was like an aha moment. 
Okay, that's that's great. So like that brings us directly into what Bluezell actually is. Can you give me kind of the surface level like elevator pitch of what Bluezell exactly is and how it differentiates itself from everything else in the space? Yeah, so like I said, the main thing we realized was that all right, while we're doing these uh, projects for the banks like HSBC, OCBC, MUFG, major Asian banks that data need to be, we built a blockchain application and then said, okay, wait, where's this data going to be stored? You can't store massive amounts of data on the blockchain. So that's kind of when we discovered that let's do this distributed decentralized database. And what we really saw, there were two pain points. One was that, hey, if you're doing a, uh, so it, basically in the next couple of years, the amount of data that's going to be exchanged between devices is exponentially huge. You're going to have 4 billion connected people by 2020. They're projecting 25 billion connected devices. So that's like six for every connected person. Um, million, you know, you know, trillions of data being exchanged between all these apps that are going. So the current internet infrastructure really isn't ideal uh, to manage for that, for security, scalability, reliability. And that's why you have all these data breaches and leaks and uh, choke points. So even though that's long-term bringing it back to us, what we found was, okay, if we had this problem building a blockchain application and having the data stored in a decentralized way, others would. So the first thing area was the decentralized internet or what we say, you know, the blockchain-based internet. You've got Gollum doing like kind of superpower, supercomputing. Ethereum was almost like an operating system. Filecoin doing file storage. Well, who's playing the role of Oracle? Who's playing the role of data storage and management? And we said, that's where we step in. So we'd be complementary to all those. So that way you've got a full ecosystem of a, de a true decentralized internet. Okay. And there's a lot of places we can take this. Cause I, like it's when people like, I like to, we hear a lot of like really, really, really high level. Cause one of our questions on the main show, the Bitcoin podcast is explain blockchain in 10 words or less. And a good portion of them will always say it's a distributed database with something, 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 right. It's always distributed database. But I guess what you're saying, we've come to find out that if you want to start storing real data from real enterprise level applications, it's not going to be one of one of these public public blockchains, or at least in the way that we're doing them now. So if you're creating your own blockchain with Bluezell, how is it able to incorporate this massive level of real device data that's necessary for enterprise level applications? So uh, what we're doing is we're not even talking about enterprise. We're saying that the starting point is actually our target market is actually mid-sized or small, okay. small companies. Reason is that the enterprises, the current enterprises, whether they're using AWS, Oracle, they'll pay for the higher security scalability because they can afford it and they'll do it. It's when the small developers can't really do it. So they basically end up building their own stack or, hey, at some point there's going to be scalability issues. So now back to your original thing with uh, the blockchain. Yeah, the blockchain, they say it's a distributed database, but it was there to record transactions and validation that something exists. So they weren't designed for map, you know, storing data or files on it. That's why you've got all these complementary pieces breaking off. So what we're doing is, I think a key point of one is, are the design for a different type of use case? So it's not smart contracts, it's not ledger transactions, it's really to manage data management. And one key difference is using, you know, this new technique that we're doing is like kind of sharding and swarming model. So in a, the easiest way is like when Bitcoin, as you know, when it records a transaction, the entire network has to come to consensus. As a network gets bigger and slower, that's what's causing these choke points. If we do it on a data management level, if we did universal consensus, that would take way too long to receive your data, write to it, and do everything you need. So what we do is you do a swarming model where you have swarms or clusters of nodes 
with a date. It's basically almost mini networks, mini, mini networks within it. And then Bluezell is like the swarm of swarms. So that way you don't need universal consensus for data management. You just have to have it at that swarm level. Okay. And, and Ethereum is going to be like that as well. Yeah, I said, you start to see that kind of that movement as you start to kind of break off into almost mini consensus and have a, almost a hierarchy of of consensus layers that manage certain subsets of the entire state, if you will. And like, and with, I don't, I'm trying to think of which way, which direction I want to take this. We can go the blockchain direction or the database direction because I'm. <laughs> uh, let's see, like with with today's problems with database management, especially with this kind of back and forth between SQL type databases and no SQL type databases, or even graph databases entering the scene, the main problem with how you store your data is how you, like the, the efficiency in which you query your data. So how fast mm -hmm. you can kind of filter based on certain criteria, join tables, move tables, etc., to get the answer that you want based on the entire set of data that you have. How does how does Bluezell handle this? Yeah, so if we can't query fast, right, then the product's dead, right? Yeah. Like there's, whether it's decentralized, centralized, what the real developer, like our, our ultimate goal is that a developer using this shouldn't even know that it's decentralized or blockchain. It should just be like, it's fast, reliable, secure. That's all they care about. So that's why, you know, the big thing is showing, you know, that speed issue and the querying. So that's really being, that's one of the bigger challenges being designed at that protocol level. Uh, like I said, for the speed, swarming is one method. Um, for the querying, we've got some good advisors on board that have, are experts in the uh, database field. Mm -hmm. So such as uh, Prashant Malik, he was an ex-Facebook engineer and he's the one who created Cassandra, the first, like one of the more open source distributed databases that came out which is super popular on. So when we started contacting him saying, hey, here's our vision, this is where we're going. He saw that, hey, what he started before, this is a true manifestation of a decentralized way. So we brought those guys on to help with those challenges of, okay, how do we make sure that the querying is fast and you can mm -hmm. reliably get it? The, the thesis obviously is that just like, like when we did these blockchain projects for the banks, like we did one around KYC and um, identity management. So they wanted that, hey, if they enter a person's name instantaneously, an audit trail pulls up of how was this guy onboarded to, you know, how was, you know, John Smith onboarded to HSBC? When did his address change? Who verified that all the way through? So basically we want to apply that type of speed principles to uh, our database. Okay. And then I guess with blockchain, the next, like what you typically say when you get, like you get provenance out of the box because of the way, the nature of how, like, I guess you can, if you can even say traditional blockchains work, uh, you see how assets on the blockchain change based on looking back into the blockchain and with something. And then that also says it's an append only ledger for most blockchains. So with a traditional data, like with a traditional database or doing database type services, is it append only or can anyone edit any part of a, a data set? And how does the provenance of that data get stored on the network like when you mean uh, provenance you mean like the history of it yeah yeah sorry it's a better way of saying yeah it. so uh, and that's where you do you know we're basically applying the same type of blockchain principles right the mm -hmm. you know the audit tracking but at some point you know what uh, on our system it's going to be is that you know that data isn't going to can't live there forever because if it's data from like 10 years ago yeah it's just clogging up the network there will and has been written over you know a billion times and we will there will be a point where you've got to start eliminating or cutting it off because it isn't the most recent anyways so it will go back to a certain point but not all the way 
Yeah. And I like, I really like, I was reading the white paper and I really like this, the swarm model that you've, you've put out for a, a few various reasons. One is the redundancy of data and you can kind of not really be mitigated by a central server and the power fails associated with whatever that server may, may hold. Like say like you have a power outage, you then lose all your functionality of a certain application or, um, it, you automatically have scale with the model that you set out in terms of, say, you have specific data sets that get queried more and more and more and more. You can automatically start to scale that swarm associated with the data set so that you maintain the level of performance required. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit and how you've leveled, laid it out? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you know what, that's one of the main things when people, it's funny is people always ask is, uh, you know, Oh, how much cheaper is it or the cost? And uh, my CTO, he says, it's not always about cost. Like obviously cost is a major thing, but for developers, performance is just as, you know, is, is weighted into it too. So even if like, obviously we believe that, you know, this thing should be, you know, low cost, but performance and security is really what matters to a developer. So what we realized, like I said, is that when we, when you did the swarming model, um, you take some of the data, you know, shard it so let's just say it's a you know i got a newsletter list and it's pavel's on there uh, we would just take pavel baines you know email address you know where i really live all that stuff but really don't take the entire data and put it on a swarm you basically take part of that and then you know replicate that across let's say hundreds of hundreds of nodes on that so if for some reason like i said there's a power failure a node went down it doesn't matter the data persists and keeps going so you can retrieve it from whoever you want. And then why you shard it is that if, let's just say for some reason, somebody broke into one node that was like fully encrypted, but somehow they got in, took some data, all they got was, let's say, Pavel, no last name, no email address. So there's no context to put to any of that data. It'd say Pavel, Corey, and a bunch of first names. Okay, what does that even mean? For mm -hmm. them to actually take over and get, really put the entire puzzle together, they'd have to take over the entire network. Um, so that's why you kind of put that, uh, using those swarming models and sharding and replicating. Yeah, I was kind of curious because it's with like the static distributed file storage, like IPFS storage, it's it's almost it's it's kind of intuitive how you shard a file and disperse it across a distributed network. But with like databases, it doesn't seem so so obvious to me. Like is it like it seems almost dependent upon how you set up your database and the schema and the type of data you store. Do you have algorithms that can kind of deterministically sh shard any given data set like, well? Well, that, those, are, those are the things. That's why when, uh, you know, you, do, you raise lots of money and get top developers <laughs> that you got. These, this, uh, this isn't a trivial uh, mm, Absolutely not. So uh, that's why we had to early on get those uh, like our real white papers, like 120 pages. And that's more of <laughs> a technical one. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, but there's one that goes deeper. And it's, it's really more of a it was a more of an internal roadmap for ourselves. And it helped us get those right advisors like Brian Fox from Orchid Labs, um, you know, Prashant Malik, uh, Alex Leverington, who was one of the core developers of Ethereum. Mm -hmm. He's come on. Um, so we wanted to show that, hey, we've really thought this through and built it up please give us feedback, push back and help us, you know, overcome, find out where these challenges are. Um, so yeah, we are designing a lot of the algorithms that are go into that. And that's, you know, part of this process. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Uh, I, I'm, let's, let's take a, I guess, a, uh, I guess a different 
avenue here and talk about how the token is associated with with this entire ecosystem because you have you have two of them can you explain um the two tokens you have and how they kind of interact with each other and what their what their purpose is yeah so this this is what's really cool because people always ask that and and then once you say it it's like you know they get it why so you've got the erc20 token you know it's easily made people can they understand it you know they can easily swap it and trade it. So that would re represent, let's say, the Bluezell coin. That gets them onto the network. Now, the problem is if you're a developer and every time you had to write something to the database or you know, there's a charge to it or you had to make a change, if we did it with an ERC-20 token, they're not, a, a developer is not gonna wait 10 seconds to a minute for confirmation that something is mm -hmm. correct or get what they need. And then there's that gas price too. So what we realized was that we had to go basically off chain and build our own. So the BLZ token, would basically go one-to-one -to, -one to our internal token, uh, what we're calling like right now BNT. And then that way, it's really for accounting and speed. So that way when they're writing onto the, onto the Blue Zone network or the protocol and getting their database, it's instantaneous, it's fast, it's got all those things that they need. Now when they wanna basically go back and exchange that token for something else, then they would convert back to BLZ and do go and exchanges in a proper way. So, so really it was designed so the network and the ease of it uh, is there as opposed to being held back by, you know, confirmation times. Yeah, with that with that setup, you're never really uh, relegated to the speed of the token at which it's traded in terms of value. Um, That's right. And if I'm correct, can you, I guess let's then move that to how the ecosystem works and how people can kind of consume and produce these tokens on the on the, on the Bluezell network. Yeah, the easy, it's funny, it was like, because uh, I come from the video game space, and then I was talking to some game people, uh, and then uh, they came up with, we came up with a really good application, and this would be a future one, but mm -hmm. I've been using it lately to explain, so it's not always about blockchain and dApps, uh, like the general person can understand. So let's just take uh, three role players. Let's say you got a PlayStation, right? There's a terabyte of storage on there. The average person does not use any of that power that those PlayStation offers, mm -hmm. but yet they're all networked and connected. So now you've got, let's say, the EA, uh, one of the guy who buys the game, right? FIFA, right? F I mean, let's just say Madden football. Mm -hmm. They've got that $60 on that game. Now you've got EA who made the game, and now you know how they are. They're running all these leagues. They're pushing up player updates, uh, roster changes, everything. So that's got to be stored somewhere as well. Usually on EA servers, probably somewhere sitting there and managing all these leagues and data that's being consumed. So we're talking to some guys and they're like, wait, what if you, in an easy way was you put the Bluezell protocol on all the, on the PlayStation that are already networked and said, hey, EA, push all that data and store it on all these PlayStations that are out there. The player is like, oh, I already paid $60 for the FIFA game. So EA pays a Bluezell token to use a service to store their data, retrieve it, everything they need. The player is like basically earning some coins back and that essentially just subsidizes the cost of that game. So it's a really true, uh, you know, its own ecosystem stream way to look at it with these three uh, role players. Oh man, that 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 is actually a, quite a way to not only bootstrap your your user base. It would be those systems are basically set up on, at a network level to be optimized for latency. Which if exactly. you find a way to tap into that network for general purpose use as a, like as a consumer, that is a fantastic way to bootstrap your network. <laughs> Yeah, so that's where we went. Once that kind of came in, I'm like, wow, if we can get into there and just prove the product over the next, you know, few months as we roll out and that it can be applied to that. And because like I said, we come from the gaming world and we can kind of get into that, that'd be a 
on a small set, just as a use case, it's, it would it has astronomical uh, you know impact. Yeah. So let's, let's. I guess we could. The next obvious question is, what's up with the token sale? Like, what are the got any news on when that's going to happen? What are the what's like the the structure of it, or when we can expect to start hearing some news from it online? Yeah. So probably over uh, in the next couple of days, we're going to be releasing uh, token information. Um, probably by the time this podcast comes out, it will already be released. Um, the token sale we're targeting is um, Q1, probably early, uh, late January, early February. Um, the product is making great strides. We will have something on the testnet uh, version by the end of December. We've already been doing webinars, uh, early sneak peeks to show people how the swarming model works, how the data persists when you scale up the nodes, when you bring them back down. Uh, if a node dies off, uh, a new one comes on, how the data just keeps alive. Um, so we'll be able to have something usable uh, in this month for people that, with limited features to do things with. Then that, you know, we basically we've been spending the last couple months just educating people on the product, the, the where it plays in the whole ecosystem. So people just really understand that it's a fundamentally infrastructure play. And uh, so they can really understand uh, what this is. It's not just, you know, something that just came out of thin air. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, is there any question that I, that I should have asked you that I didn't, that I didn't get a chance to, um, let's see, uh, a common one is what well, we talked about latency. Um, well, a common one is, uh, you, know, you understand this stuff, but a lot of one that usually comes up is what's the difference between, you know, Fluzel and Filecoin or SIA. Mm -hmm. And the main one there is that's file storage and we're data storage. Uh, complementary pieces. And then, uh, so really what we try to explain in the most simplest way is like, that's like Dropbox, which stores files. And then you have Oracle, which does, stores just data and manages data. Um, then that's how people understand that, okay, those are two fundamentally different things. Um, and uh, that's how they work. So my, I always say is like, hey, if I had Instagram and somebody built a decentralized Instagram, they would store the file, uh, the picture would be in one place, but all the data behind, you know, the user, the tagging who the friend is, the location that's stored somewhere else on a different database. Yeah, it's, I guess that's a that's a differentiation that I, most people don't quite intuitively understand. Like, like you know, media storage, like flat file or like static file content, like the background to your computer or all the pictures that you upload to Facebook, versus um, the relations of the data, which is kind of like who your friends are and who who yeah. your friends of your friends are. And what comments they've made, and the kind of like how all the static media files are connected to each other is a tremendous amount of data itself, which needs to be stored, but in a very different way. So yeah, I think, and that's and that's something that systems like IPFS and and storage and SIA they don't quite that they're not built to do that type of thing. Yeah, and that's that's usually a common question. We were like, well, can't they just? do it and i was like well it's hard one it's hard to anybody can do anything but it's hard to one you know stay focused in this early stage of the game of all these technologies and uh, you know storage itself is uh, you know a big problem file storage that's like could you you know build the database on top of dropbox yes technically you can it's probably not the most efficient and ideal thing and uh, and then usually people ask us like okay well, if you do do data storage well wouldn't you go into file storage and do that and i was like well Oracle built in a massive business just off data storage and management. Yeah. And I think that's, we can stay just focused and do that as opposed to let's go wide right away. Mm -hmm. I think um, one of the problems I see with uh, blockchain projects now is every, people are trying to do the entire value chain. And it's like, 
what if you just focus on that one area? Because those are always existing businesses before. Just because it's unproven ground and you can do the whole value chain doesn't mean that you need to. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we're starting to finally get into at least like the maturity point of the blockchain space where people are starting to realize that they can't do everything. And yeah. it's okay to specialize because these systems are synergistic with each other. Like if you adding a solid foundation in a very specific area that allows people to do something very consistently in a scalable way that's cheap and with great latency allows other people to focus, which then allows really, really, really good decentralized applications, which then once built really changes people's lives. And that's what we're after, right? We're after that whole decentralized movement of allowing people to do things that they couldn't do beforehand, but it's going to require really robust pieces. And I think everyone's been trying to do like all of it at once. And yeah, yeah. No, it's a trip because even like well, I've been on a bunch of panels, uh, you know, with some top blockchain projects in Asia. And when people, the general public ask certain questions and one of the, well, one of the guys, he was just like, no, he goes, the difference in this world is that we're all going to be collaborating. Because one guy, he's like, we will use Pavel's, Puzel's database to handle this while we take care of this area and we'll truly collaborate. And everybody's like, then, then the system just gets better. If we're all just kind of siloed off, which was kind of the old world used to be, that's when you have certain problems. What you're going to see, the true power is going to be the companies that collaborate and say, all right, I'll do this, you do that, and let's just keep. There's another vein to that, which I don't think it's um, talked much. I was at a, um, a token summit last year, and it had, it had all of the, the, central, or the decentralized file storage plays on, on a panel discussing kind of how they've kind of gotten to where they are and how you then start to collaborate. And there's going to be more than one decentralized database play. There already is. It's, it's you have Big Chain DB, and I'm sure there are a few others that I'm not aware of, and and you guys. And what do you say to like? How does that interact with you? Is there? Is it like? How do you then start to kind of have what I consider coopetition amongst all the people who are doing very similar things? Yeah, that's that's going to be unique. That's going to be interesting. Is like, what to, maybe it'll be we did certain technologies a certain way that be better for, you know, that you can share or bring more customers on. Like, you know, when people ask us, hey, what's with you guys in Big Chain DB? I was like, well, you know, they've got, they've got a, you know, they're going for a certain market and there's different, there's always multiple approaches to a similar problem. And, you know, what they're doing, well, they got real good enterprises customers and that might work really well for them. We're going more on a ground protocol level and aiming at small developers and what's better for them. Maybe eventually we figure out the needs for each one and there could be some collaboration there of sharing technologies or knowledge base. Um, the other one that's interesting in this is when people talk to us, it's like, when you're doing, like you said, in the existing centralized internet, there's tons of database players and they're all making money and doing well. It's not like consumer plays where you only have one a winner take all. Like mm -hmm. there can only be one Instagram, right? <laughs> there's really only one Twitter. Um, you know, Snapchat was doing something Instagram just added the same feature and almost like destroyed it. They've pretty much, it's known that they're killing Snapchat's business. Um, in a, in a more of a B2B infrastructure play, there's lots of players that can do well. And just, even if they just carve out a niche, um, you know, even though Dropbox is free, there's tons of cloud storage places that specialize on certain media file types and people pay for that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a real difference that people are forgetting to understand that it's not just a brand name winner take all in the, the infrastructure or, behind, you know, beneath the consumer layer space.
And I like that kind of like I don't want to call it competition because it's not really competition. But you you end up because you're in the same market, like you're you're after somewhat. There's an overlap in the people you're trying to go after. You tend to um, either push each other or learn off each other, and it gives you a bit of a drive on developing the technology in a way that you might not be um, as hungry for if that other person didn't exist. So I think it's healthy to have some type of some type of other people doing similar things in the space. Well, that, that and it also proves out uh, the market for others. That because mm -hmm. if you're just a lone wolf in there, then people doubt it, could doubt it all, right? When you have two or three people in there, then like, oh, okay, that proves out that there's actually a market people need here. This. And yeah. Like, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's great. Is, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Is there anything you'd like to plug or people? How, how can people reach you? Uh, the best way is, you know, growing our Telegram or community channel. We call it, uh, we basically because of the swarming models, uh, we call it the Blue Zell Swarm. Um, that's what we kind of call our community. Uh, mm -hmm. We wanted some catchy name that, you know, you got Google I.O. Uh, and all that stuff. So we're like, let's just call it the Blue Zell Swarm. Uh, we have a lot of fun. Like I said, you know, you know, we have a lot of fun with it. The group, uh, you know, a lot of our people come on, they'll see. It's like, you know, <laughs> you know, I grew up on rap music. So I always put gifs of the Wu-Tang Clan, Killer Bees. It was, Wonderful. It was funny. It was, uh, yeah, well, I think one of, a graph, one of our marketing people had made some cute bees and, hey, here's a graphic we want to use. I'm like, no, no, I just like the raw, real stuff. <laughs> and the less, the more raw, the better. So I just kind of found some Wu-Tang Clan video where, they turned into bees and made a quick gif of it. And we're like, yeah, just cycle that. That's what I want is a swarm. It just, <laughs> the more raw, the better. Um, yeah. So our telegram channel is just, you know, t.me slash bluezell. You know, that's where we engage the most. And then uh, join our newsletter at bluezell.com so they can stay up to date with the, the latest news about, you know, the, the token sale, where the product's at. We're going to be doing a bunch of AMAs with ourselves and some of our advisors. Uh, really talking about the tech and just and getting people to just not understand about just tokens and uh, that stuff, but really about why this technology is compelling and everybody should really understand not just us as an infrastructure play, but why, you know, why the building of these roads is important from everybody and knowing that that's what you need to get real awesome consumer products later. I think you nailed it on the head with the term building these roads. And that's, that's really what you're doing is building roads that then people can then build on top of or, or use that, that increases the quality of their life or so on and so forth, right? You couldn't, you couldn't actually have cars or network or, or distribution services whatsoever unless you had roads for those things to live on. And that's what these types of plays are doing is building the roads that people can, can do things on. Yeah, like some of the, I mean, some of the things of the, the project coming out, like you think is like, they're building electric cars, but really we don't even have the roads yet. So mm -hmm. what good is that car <laughs> until we have the infrastructure set? So hopefully we'll get enough of the infrastructure figured out in the next you know, couple of years, and then you're going to get the true killer consumer apps come out. All right. Well, thanks for that. And thanks for having on the show. Hey, thanks, Corey. Right. We'll talk soon.